At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, finding your Christmas story in theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. We're going to be continuing our series, Eyewitnesses. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to pray and, um, and then we'll begin. Let's pray together. God, thank you uh, for today, for uh, your goodness to us, even as we got to reminisce just there for a moment when we used to be mobile, um, how you bless us with this home. Uh, it's pretty cool, God, to see when you get hindsight looking back and seeing how you moved in, in amazing ways uh, for this place, for this people. And so, God, we just thank you for that. We ask you now that you would be generous with us, with your word, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, you have freedom in this place, not that you need it, but we invite you that you might speak to our hearts and our lives for your good purpose and uh, for our good. And God, I ask that you would continue. It doesn't, it's not lost on me that people are still walking through heaviness of this last, last number of weeks. Uh, God, meet with people even now in this place that we might surround people with your love. They might feel it in this home um, today. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 again. Um, uh, if you're new, I don't want to distract you. I don't normally have a little scooter that I go around on. Um, so I had surgery Tuesday. went really well, supposedly. Um, and I'll be on a cast for the next week. So I, again, I hope not to be a distraction. Uh, to you, uh, but I'm, I'm going to be sitting and not moving around too much because I can't walk. So uh, just thank you so much for so many people that have reached out, blessed us, and um, it's, it's, it's amazing to have a church family that uh, shows their love and care uh, for one another, not just the pastor, but for each other. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we started this new series last week called Eyewitnesses that we want to find our story in the stories of the people who saw Jesus' birth firsthand in the very beginning some couple thousand years ago. And last week was, was amazing for me to study the story of Mary and what God did through the life of Mary and how Mary is an amazing example for us, for us to follow Jesus in, in the Spirit of God coming down and imparting on us um, His good grace and how we can walk in obedience like Mary did. And the same is true today as we're going to take one more just small step in engaging the life of Joseph. Now, before we engage in the life of Joseph, I got to kind of go back and give us some, um, some pre-work, some context for us to really grasp what we're going to look at. And then I just want you to see two, um, two truths for your life today and being a follower of Jesus as the example of Joseph in our lives. So it's amazing in the beginning parts of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew's main objective is to announce and defend the claim of Jesus as Savior. And so there's this really fun part of the Bible that you get to read sometimes called genealogies. Isn't that awesome? It's pretty amazing. It's riveting. This last week, I, I heard a song that someone wrote was actually gorgeous written to the genealogy in Matthew. And many times we, we just read over these things, we don't see the significance of them. And I want to show you the significance in Matthew's genealogy that sets up the beauty of the obedience and the trusting of Joseph. So when 
we look at it, Matthew is laying out in the beginning this genealogy, and he wants to show something significant. He's first showing that he wants to show that, 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 um, that Jesus is both the descendant of King David and Father Abraham. And you might say, why is that significant? Well, it's pretty significant because in Genesis chapter 12, write it down, look at it later, God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to bless. He was going to have many descendants, and he was going to bless the whole world through his descendants. Well, Jesus is the descendant of Abraham with which he will bless the entire world, the Messiah, the coming Messiah. So it's significant. He's showing that. Not only that, later on in 2 Samuel 7, God promises to King David that he is going to have a son whose throne will last forever. It's Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. So, so he's showing that even in the genealogy, and it's quite fascinating and his point is to show that Jesus has the correct pedigree, if you will, to be the Savior, to be the Messiah. So when you look at it, there is a problem within the genealogy, and that's what I want to set up for us. There's, there's a real problem that threatens everything that I just said about Jesus being the son of David and the descendant of Abraham. And I want to look at it with you quickly um, because it will set up what we're looking at in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. So I just want to read a couple verses, verses maybe 2 and 3 of Matthew 1, and, and see if you find a rhythm here in this genealogy. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and Judah the father of Perez, and um, Zerah the, by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, quality son name right there. If you ever want to just figure out great names for your children, just look at these genealogies. It's fascinating. Ram, super creative. So you hear it. There, there's this repetition, the father of, the father of, the father of. And, and this pattern's maintained all the way through the, the genealogy in Matthew, right? Until it comes to verse 16. If you look in, in verse 15, it says, and Methan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, and Joseph, the father of Jesus. Isn't that what it says? No, that's, that's not what it says. It says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. That's fascinating. The genealogy is father of, father of, father of, father of, father of, and then it stops, it breaks in that pattern and says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Why? These things are very significant, and we read over them many times. He, he breaks this pattern, and it's important because he's making a connection between Jesus and Joseph, but he wants everybody to know that Joseph is not the father of Jesus. And that's significant because he is of virgin birth. He has come, he is God himself. Joseph is not his father, but then who is he born of? But what he wants to show is he's not his father, but he is he, he didn't actually father the child, but we'll get there. So there's a problem here, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty significant problem. You see, the genealogy is based on fatherhood. If you keep going da down, if father of, father of, father of, and then we have a break there where Jesus is not the father of Joseph, then this is a big problem because then Jesus is no longer linked back to David, and he's no longer linked back to Abraham, and that means he's no longer the Messiah. This is pretty significant. This is either scandal or something truly amazing, and I would like to tell you that it's the second. It's pretty fascinating. It's pretty amazing. So let's read Matthew 
1 and verse 18, our text for today, down through verse 25. It says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had, betrothed, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. See, it's showing us now from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and willing, or excuse me, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place that the Lord had spoken to the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Pretty, pretty amazing story. And before we jump in, I just want to ask you a question. What does true faith result in? In other words, maybe sincerity towards God and his word, if we genuinely believe, genuine, genuinely believe in him, what will our lives actually look like? How does authentic trust in God play out in our lives? Maybe think about that for yourself. What does true faith result in? So when you look at our passage, we're going to look at Joseph almost as like a case study. And through the life of Joseph, I want you to see one thing. I want you to learn this truth, that true faith results in a righteous response. True faith always results in a righteous response. And, and so we're going to walk through Jesus, Joseph's story, which you just read for a moment. I want you to see these things. And just, just two practicalities for you in life as we look at our faith, as Joseph is our example, that true faith always results in a righteous response as we respond to God. So it says that they were betrothed. Now, betrothal, you've probably heard this, you've been around church, but I just want to remind us, in the ancient world was, was more than maybe engagement for us. You know, see, it was, it was more than just some mediocre commitment, but it included a legal agreement. So last week I did a, a wedding downstairs with my half leg and hobbled around, and at the end of it, they signed a literal legal document, which is their marriage license. So in, in the ancient times, there would have come, that would have come in their betrothal period, more their engagement. At that point, they were already legally bound during betrothal. And it's during this time that it says that Joseph... As he's betrothed in his engagement, the story takes place. And so, if you read in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when Jesus' mother, uh, Jesus mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together. So what that means is before they had come together, it's literally talking about their sexual union. It had not yet taken place. And so during betrothal, it, wasn't, it was as if they were married, but they were not yet consummated in their marriage. So they're, they're setting up. There's no way in which this would have been Joseph's child. And so in this moment, they're not yet married, and Mary is found to be with child. She's pregnant. You can imagine Joseph, Mary's fiancé, could only conclude one thing. What? She was unfaithful. I mean, naturally, he in his own mind, whether other people believed him or not, they have not yet come together. He knows in his own mind they haven't, and he says, man... In, in this beautiful, amazing time where it's supposed to be celebratory, we look forward to our marriage together, you were unfaithful. And Mary's living with that. 
Joseph's anticipation and excitement. Mary, you betrayed me. And your, your, your sin has actually gotten you pregnant. Can you imagine, that there's, there's not much more of a deflating circumstances. There would have been a lot of despair in Joseph. Can you imagine what it would have felt like for you? It's an exciting time, and this is what you find out. Well, it tells us in verse 19 how Joseph responds. Joseph is a pretty class act individual. It says, but Joseph, being a just man and not willing to put Mary to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph decides he's, gonna, he's getting a divorce. He's walking away, which is his legal right. And he's going to divorce her because, again, betrothal back then was more significant than just this engagement. It was as if they were already married. But he doesn't want to make her shameful or a spectacle of this. So it says that he's going to do it quietly. He doesn't want to ruin her. He could have taken her to a public trial and openly shamed her. But he says, you know what, to preserve your reputation, Mary, I'm just, I still love you. And so I'm just going to do it quietly. No one has to know about this. And remember, again, for our story. Remember what the divorce means, that Joseph, if he does not take Jesus as his son, Jesus has then lost his connection to David, because that is Joseph, and is therefore now no longer Messiah. It's pretty fascinating when you read about it under those circumstances. But just as Joseph's about to call, a, call his lawyer, he's preparing the paperwork, as God always does, he intervenes. He intervenes, and it says in verse 20, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, he says, Joseph, son of David, he's about to walk away, and God steps in. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So God's word to Joseph is just a rededication or redirection of Joseph's plans. That Joseph had his own plan for his life, and God steps in and says, we're going to go in another direction. And this is pretty significant. For Joseph to take Jesus as a son, and name him as a son, he was literally saying, this child belongs to me, even though I did not conceive him. He belongs to me, and Jesus now is adopted into the line of Joseph as the son of David. So Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, by adoption. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing to me as I watch many of our people in our church, walk through the process of adoption, of bringing in someone from out their family and calling them home. And in every situation I've watched, these individuals that feel called to bring in people that don't have a ch a children, that don't have a mom and a dad, they bring them in. They love them the same as their other children because they are now their children. And I think it's amazing that Jesus is the Christ through adoption. What an amazing and beautiful, just Thing for us to see and experience and fall fresh on us that each one of us is a child of God through what? Adoption. That he adopts us in as well. And you look at that, you look at his story and you say true faith requires a righteous response and I just want us to look at two things as, as a response to that in what ways. The first one is to just, I just want to call us as we want to walk in true faith. It demands a righteous response, and that righteous response in the story of Joseph, as we look at it, as an eyewitness, is to trust the plan of God. Hello? Anybody else have a problem with that? Okay, just me. I struggle sometimes with trusting the plan of God in a lot of different ways. I promise you there are people in our community this week 
that are struggling to trust the plan of God. Wrestling with the plan of God. But I want to call us and show us through the life of David that true faith requires a righteous response, and that righteous response, first off, is to trust the plan of God. And Joseph had uh, his life planned out. He's got a carpentry business. Maybe it's called Bethlehem Woodworks. He's a carpenter. Maybe come up with your own name. It's fun sometimes to do that. I think we better understand the Bible. Sometimes we have some creativity. We're not changing what the Bible has. We're just having an imagination. We're supposed to have faith like a child, not like a 40-year-old man. Right? Maybe that's the name. He's engaged. He's about to start a family. He's got plans for a new house, I'm assuming, probably because he's a carpenter, and he wants to open up this beautiful house for his family, so he's working, he's got family, and he's got a home that he's planning on. He's got a nice life planned out. It's all laid out. It's all wonderful. You ever been there? And then God interrupts. And then God, boom, just changes it. Next thing you know, his fiance is pregnant by someone else, and all of his plans fall out the window. He decides, like, quietly, okay, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to divorce my wife. And God intervenes and scraps that plan as well. He says, you got a second plan? Hold on, I want to scrap that one as well before you go too far down the road. God says, not this plan, not that plan, but my plan. Can I tell you that this is a life of faith? A life of faith is trusting in God's plan for your life and believing that he is Lord and that he knows what's best for you even though he interrupts your plan the way that you want it to go all the time and changes and pivots and sends you in another direction. A life of faith is responding to God in trusting his plan for your life. Trusting that what he has for you is probably better than what you had for yourself. And you know what? Sometimes it means God's calling us to stick with our spouse, even though everything in us screams, I want a divorce from him or her. And maybe even rightly having that intention, as Joseph did. Sometimes what's best for us, even though we don't want to do it or we don't want to follow the plans of God, is to bring a child into our home, a child I have no biological connection to. That's what Joseph did. It wasn't his plan. It wasn't the way that he saw himself going, but God had other plans. I just want you to think for a moment, how has God interrupted your plans for life? We probably all have a journey. I'm almost 40. I had a different plan for my life. But this is what God had. This is where God has me. What does he put in your, your path that surely you're like, this isn't the right plan for me, God. This can't be right. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a demanding relationship. Maybe it's a call that you've felt in your heart and your life to foster or adopt a child. Maybe it's to move. Maybe it's to do whatever it is. And you think, man, God, this cannot be the right plan for me. Whatever the interrupting thing is, this is God's word for you today, and I want you to hear it from me. Whether you're watching online or you're here, do not be afraid. Your plan may be trashed, but my ways are higher than yours. And I have a plan for you, and I want you to be afraid. I want you to enter into it. Man, God's promise for Joseph is that there's something bigger going on 
that he doesn't know about, and it's that his wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that as you're walking through life, maybe today God has interrupted your plan for life, and he's taking you a different direction. There is something else bigger going on that you have no clue about that God is doing. God is working in the scenes that you have never seen before. Can I tell you the same thing's true in trials? The same thing is true in our trials, that there's something bigger, something else bigger going on. I mean, you don't know all of that. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 19.21. Anyone know it? Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I read that verse every time when God shifts my plans. It's almost as if, you know, I made plans, God laughs and says, well, I think that's really cute, Jim, but let me show you what I really have for your life, that there's something bigger going on. The purposes of God are moving, and what's fascinating is oftentimes we don't get to see the reasons why, the details, and all that. What's beautiful is at least Joseph gets that, right? Jo Joseph's fortunate enough to get the detail. God tells him directly, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want you to do with the child. He's the Savior. And maybe for some of you in this room or for you watching online today, it won't be until eternity that you get the details of what you went through and why you went through it, but it was for the purposes of God and the betterment of your life and maybe for people outside of your life. You see, the blowing up of Joseph's life was for the king of kings to come through his wife, through scandal, through maybe stuff that was uncomfortable for him, and the world was changed from God changing his plan. Who knows what God is doing in your life from shaking up your plans in your life? It's, face, it's fascinating, and we may never know, but what a great purpose God has in our pain. I think the greatest example of this, maybe, is, is the life of Jesus, right? Nowhere else is it clear, clearer that Jesus went under, went under excruciating pain as he was crucified, and all the sins of the world were laid on him why? There was a purpose in the pain. What was it? It was our redemption, our forgiveness, our freedom from sin. And man, as we look at Joseph's life, Joseph was the beginning of that. As God was shaking up his life for something different. Can I tell you, just to encourage you this morning, if you're walking through brokenness, God has a purpose for your broken, broken status in life. He has a purpose for your pain, and he calls you to trust his plan, believe his word, and live in humble dependence in him. Trust the plan of God. And there's a lot of people in our community, maybe to the north and in this community, that are walking through some pain. And it's pretty, pretty tough in those moments to trust the plan of God even in our pain. But I want to remind you today, if you're here and you've been walking through it in the last week or so, can I tell you, trust the plan of God that God is doing good things in the midst of the pain and the tragedy and the brokenness of the world. God's doing big things. But where is it in your life that you need to trust the plan of God? And you look at his response as well. Man, true faith results in a righteous response and trusting the plan of God. But here, I think, is a bigger one for us today as we, we finish up his life is obeying the word of God. Anybody else struggle with obedience? Great song, O-B-E-D. 
I have to sing that to myself all the time. Like, obedience is a real problem. What's fascinating is it's not with Joseph. I want to read for you just for a moment a section as one writer, as I was studying for this, he says it better than I would ever be able to say it. If you haven't learned uh, from coming to our church here long, I'm not the most articulate person, but I do my best. This guy writing this, it's beautiful. I just want to read it for you real quick. It says this about Joseph's obedience. In the New Testament, Joseph never speaks. Isn't that fascinating? We don't have any quotes from Joseph. In Matthew's gospel, where Joseph appears more than anywhere else, he does a number of important things, but we never hear him speak. In the first chapter of Matthew, Joseph overcomes initial hesitation and obeys the divine summons to marry the questionable Mary. Later, in the second chapter of Matthew, Joseph is commanded to flee to Egypt with a child and his mother. Still later in the second chapter, uh, counseled again by, the, by a dream, Joseph is instructed to return with the family from Egypt to a land of Israel and then settle with them in the north in Galilee. And in every scene, Joseph simply acts without speaking. His speech is to do the will of God. I love that. He doesn't respond. His response is obedience. We may call him quiet Joseph, but his hallmark obedience, prompt, simple, and unspectacular obedience. Man, if there's something you hang on to today, it's that phrase, unspectacular obedience. And in this sense, Joseph prefigures one important feature in Matthew's understanding of righteousness. It's this, to be righteous is simply to obey the word of God. And that is Joseph for us. I mean, God says, take Mary as your wife. Joseph takes his wife, Mary. God says, name the child and adopt him. Joseph names the child Jesus and adopts him. God says, flee to Egypt. Joseph takes his family and goes. God says, come back from Egypt. Joseph returns. And in every instance, whatever or wherever God calls, we don't hear anything from Joseph. We don't even hear him say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. No, we don't get a single quotation from, Moses, from Joseph other than he just obeys. What a legacy. What a legacy. Not a, not a flamboyant response or just obedience. I mean, if you have children, you probably ob value obedience more than others. I know my mom did. It's amazing when you ask your children to do something and try to get them to be obedient. There's a lot of ways we do it. I mean, there's straight up bribery. You know, there's threatening. I don't recommend it. Um, what's amazing is when they actually do it, you're like, thank you, Lord. Maybe I'm doing something right. But oftentimes, you have this exchange with them hey, will you go clean your room? Okay, but can, like, afterwards, when I'm done cleaning my room, can I watch TV after that? Yes, just go clean your room. Hey, will you, uh, you know, sweep up the floor in the kitchen? Well, why do I have to do it? My sisters don't do it. Uh, but fine, I'll do it. 
the list goes on and on. There's rarely ever than when I look at my children, and I'm sure yours are the same. Mine aren't just horrible kids. When you, when you look at your children and you say, will you do this, that they just turn around, walk, and obey. I mean, can you, I'll just throw it out there. Have you ever remembered that once happening in life? But there's something unbelievable about it. You know what's even better is when they obey and you never actually ask them. I think sometimes we do this weird thing within Christianity that we don't, we don't link what we experience here on earth as human beings that were made in the image and likeness of God. We don't, we don't link that to what our relationship is with God. Can you, can you imagine what it was for God for him to look down at Joseph and be like, Unbelievable circumstances. Never spoke a word. Just walked in obedience. Could have said, why me, God? I don't want to do it like Moses. Made up all these excuses and then finally say, fine, God, I guess I'll go down there and do it. I'll help rescue the Israelites. You don't find that here. And I don't think it's meant for, to speak to us that communicating that obedience to God is some easy, flippant thing. No, I don't think it was easy for Joseph to remember what he said. I mean, the angel had to say, don't be afraid. Joseph was afraid, afraid of taking his wife, adopting a child, um, afraid of his reputation, I'm sure. The, the choice to obey wasn't easy, but the choice was simple. Will you do it? will you not? Will you take where is your wife or not? Will you adopt this child or not? A simple choice, hard for sure, but simple. Yes or no? When you look at his life, I, I call us as believers today to think about and process as we look at the life of Joseph. In what area of your life is God calling you to be obedient and you're not following through? What area of your life is God calling you to be obedient and you're kicking and screaming and saying, fine, God, I guess I'll do it? What area of your life are you like, okay, but God, if I do this, afterwards, can I do this? What area of your life do you just need to act in simple obedience? I keep coming back to these two scenarios, but I think they're profoundly true. Like God called Joseph to stick with his wife when it wasn't easy. You gotta imagine his friends and his family saying, Man, why are you marrying? Why are you marrying this woman? Why are you staying with her? There was probably ridicule and judgment and shame and gossip and slander. It wasn't easy. Obedience isn't easy. And sometimes it's not the most popular thing to do. Sometimes it goes against, I would say not sometimes, always, it goes against the grain of what you see around you. But where is God calling you to follow in Joseph's footsteps? The same would be true. The situation he faced with a child, many, he's, he's not even a father. To be an instant father, God calls him that to be a father of a child he didn't conceive. And despite being scared and confused and all of that, he obeyed with prompt, simple, unspectacular obedience. I love that phrase, unspectacular. I think it was amazing because it wasn't outwardly radical. You know what I mean by that? 
I feel as though within Christianity, oftentimes we think about obedience as it's something to have to do radical. You have to move, sell everything, move to sub-Sahara Africa, and lead people to Christ that you don't know their language. Like, that's obedience. We, we equate obedience to this, like, overwhelming thing that God's calling us to step into and be, like, crazy obedient way over here. No, it was really simple. It was just stay with Mary and keep Jesus as your son. And he changed the world. I think that many times we wrestle with being radical, and it wasn't outwardly recognizable. Most people probably never saw his obedience. It was between him and Mary and him and God, just simple, quiet, prompt, unspectacular obedience behind the scenes where no one ever sees it. Can I tell you, most of the obedience in your life in following Jesus is going to be in places where no one around you is going to be there to slap you on the back and say, well done, or say, man, isn't that awesome that he's obedient? It's going to be in the quiet places between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between you and close friendships, and you and God, where most people are never going to hear the profound stories of your obedience. It's unspectacular. It's quiet often, behind the scenes. And I've said this before, and now I have a new word to add in there. But simple acts of obedience is how the kingdom of God moves forward. And now I would say the kingdom of God moves forward from simple, unspectacular acts of obedience every single day. So I ask you, like, what, what does that do with you? Where does that sit with you? Where is it that God is calling you to be obedient that you're not following through? Where God is just saying, man, it's really easy. I just want you to like spend time with me in the word of God because being a follower of Jesus is having a relationship with me. And I'm not sure how we have a relationship if you never actually hear from me other than what Jim says on Sunday or Alex says on Sunday. It's simple, unspectacular acts of obedience that we would just lose an extra hour of sleep that we could get up in the morning and hear from the word of God. It's simple. It's not easy, but the decision is simple. Will you do it or will you not? I mean, you go down the list of the generosity. God calls us to be generous people with what he's given us. And a simple act of obedience on your part, outside of the church, as the Spirit of God leads you to be there for your neighbor, maybe financially, and God does something in his life, and you may never see it this side of heaven, but God radically changes their life, and through that, he might change thousands of people's life, and you'd never know about it through a simple act of obedience, simple act of obedience of being generous within your church, that people in the city of Detroit might hear the gospel, and there'd be a, an outpost of the kingdom of God in the center of Detroit. I mean, simple acts of obedience, of serving as people. I love it right now. People are down there, and hopefully they won't get upset at me if I go a little bit long. But in kids' ministry, pouring into your children a simple act of obedience that might change a kid's life forever. Loving someone that's unlovable. and would change someone's life and maybe change eternity for many more. Things you'll never see. Where's God calling you? How has God interrupted your plans? And what area of your life is God asking you to walk in obedience? True faith always results in a righteous response of trusting God's plan and obedience to his word. God's calling us today to say, trust my plan for your life 
as painful it is or as painful as it might be, obey my commands, as difficult as they may be, simply obey, don't fear, just walk in obedience. And today I would call you to that as we enter into the Christmas season, looking at the life of Joseph. What a profound life he lived. We only know a short snippet of it. What an impact it's now having on you and people for countless generations because of a simple act of obedience and trusting the plan of God. What is that for you? I pray even now as we go into a time of worship and just simply ask, Lord, I need you because I am unable to do this on my, ha- on my own. I pray that you would respond in the same way even now. Maybe would you stand and I want to pray and uh, then we're going to enter into a time of singing together as the band comes just to declare to the Lord that we need him in this time, in this moment to be faithful to what he's calling us to. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today, for the moments that we have together to open your word. God, I ask that you would be with us this morning, be with those that are watching online to maybe wrestle with, and there are ways that you have interrupted our plans throughout the years, and God, we want to be obedient to you. I could give countless examples of how you have interrupted my life and changed where you were having me go. But now I look back and it's exactly where I need to be because I know that's exactly what you have for me in my life. And so God, I ask that you would be with anybody right now that's maybe wrestling with that, where you're leading them and they're, they're overwhelmed and maybe it's a, a broken situation. How could God lead me into this? But knowing that you are doing something in it for their good and your glory, God, would you meet them there? And then God, would you help all of us just to walk in simple, unspectacular obedience that the kingdom of God would be moved forward in the places that we do life. For some in this room, it might be simply just tomorrow opening up the word of God and entering in. It might be stepping in in January and joining a a community group that we might be able to surround ourselves with people that would spur us on to love and good works. For some, it might be like just pressing in and Say, man, I know I need to do better as a spiritual leader in my home with my family. God, whatever it may be, you know, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and our lives now. And even as we cry out, we need you, Lord. It's not just words. We deeply and profoundly need you because we are lost without you. And we need the Spirit of God in our lives or else we'll be, we'll be lost, God. So would you do it with us even as we cry out now? Hear our voices in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.